0: Dying in state.
1: My sister, they went in and looked for her and they brought him someone else. They sent
0: an old open buggy to pick up her, our users.
1: I, I was looking around and I couldn't find my brother. The Life Esitimeni tragedy.
2: In episode one, Eyewitness News discussed the Gauteng Health Department's decision to terminate his agreement with Life Esitimeni. We focused primarily on Deborah Pelta the first patient whose life would later be claimed by this decision and the horrific way in which she died. In today's episode, we will focus on the transfer of the patients, how it was done, how it was so rushed that families could not find their loved ones and how patients were sent to places without their medical files. From March to June 2016, Psychiatric patients started to be moved from Life Esitimeni facilities across Gauteng to various non-profit organizations in the province. They were moved in large numbers. According to their families, some of these patients had been living at Life Esitimeni for decades. Psychologists have said moving these patients from their comfort zones was an enormous disruption to their lives. They were meant to be prepared before they were taken from what had been their homes. The move was supposed to be done slowly over a number of years and the patients were meant to be moved in smaller numbers. But this was not the case. Doctors and relatives of many of the victims have described chaos and gross human rights violations as the patients were being transported to various NGOs. Many families were informed of the moves at the last minute, or not at all for some. Lala is one of those family members who, She gave testimony through an interpreter at the public hearings.
0: They called you in June to tell you, what did
3: they tell you when they called you in June?
1: They told me that he's going to be transferred today.
3: But from June 2016 to September, once you had been told that he had been transferred, didn't you try and find him? i did try to call them i asked them where they've taken my brother but it wasn't clear Uh, The lady that
1: I go to church with uh, gave me the numbers of the NGOs and their addresses and I went from one NGO to another looking for my brother.
3: Um,
1: I, I was looking around and I couldn't find my brother. Even when I went to Pinoni you know, on the 30th of January, uh, I couldn't find my brother.
2: Joseph Gumete had been living at the Ranfontein branch of Life Esedimeni since 2015 when his sister Ndomfuti Lala received a call in June 2016 To be told that Joseph was being moved from there that very day, the obvious question of where to would follow immediately only for Ndomfute and many others, often to be told, we don't know, by Life Esitimeni's staff. She was then faced with the mammoth task of going from one place to the next across the province, trying to find her brother. She also went to the Provincial Health Department's offices on Sour Street in the busy Johannesburg CBD. But even there, she couldn't get the answers she was looking for. No one seemed to know where Joseph had been transferred to. In February 2017, eight months after her brother was moved, Domforti received a call and the woman on the other end had some devastating news. Joseph had passed on. What's worse is that he had been lying lifeless in a mortuary since the previous July. Slowly, the panic and the list of questions grew as relatives went to visit their loved ones. They would arrive at Life Esitimeni to visit their relatives there, only to be told that patients had been moved. The hunt for answers would lead the anxious relatives to the Gauteng Health Department. Again, they would find information on the whereabouts of their patients in short supply. In October 2016, a month after Gauteng Health MEC Katani Maslangu announced that 36 patients had died, the families held a march outside her offices. Abraham Mulungu, holding up a missing persons poster for his sister Mercy, was among the demonstrators on that day. Mercy was a patient at Life Esitimeni and had gone missing during the moves. Abraham says his family was in the dark about her whereabouts for several weeks. No one put
3: me out. I escaped. I ran. There was a broken fence behind. I escaped because... The supper was apple or orange. The medication which we left with from SCD Mediran Fontaine was finished two weeks ago or three weeks ago. They never
2: gave us any medication. Let's fast forward to four months later, on the first of February 2017. 94 silent deaths and still counting. For many people, this was just a normal morning with children going to school and adults making their way to work. But for the families of the psychiatric patients from Life Esitimeni, especially those whose relatives were either missing or among those who died, this wasn't just any normal day. It was a day filled with a myriad of emotions, shock, sadness, anger and so much more. It was also a day answers started emerging for many of the emotionally tortured families. It was the day the Health Ombudsman, Professor malakhapuru Kapuru Released his damning report into the circumstances surrounding the deaths of the psychiatric patients who had been abruptly moved from Life Esitimeni. It was the day South Africa learned that the death toll in this disastrous move was 94 and not 36, as previously announced by Tatani Maslang.
4: A total of 94 and not 36 mentally ill patients. Have died during this process. And this, I call it a provisional number. The reason why I call it a provisional number is because there are other agencies that are investigating this process, like the South African police. They are still investigating. There are corpses that are still in mortuaries that have not been identified, and we don't know whether they form part of this. Not all the information we could get from the NGO was often uh, uh, full. Some of them were actually reluctant to give information. And some families are now just coming out of the woodworks sending us names of their relatives that they want us to investigate so I suspect that the number it's higher than that and that's why I have entitled my report 94 silent death and still counting
2: the health ombudsman's shocking revelations did not end there
4: all the 27 NGOs where patients were transferred from life as have been found to have been operating under invalid licenses. In short, I'm saying that the Houten Department of Health took mentally ill patients from a licensed institution and put them into twenty seven unlicensed or NGOs that operated with invalid licenses. And you can see how unlawful that must be. And therefore, anybody who died in those circumstances died under unlawful circumstances. It's it's that simple.
2: With Professor Mahoba lifting the lid on Gauteng's worst health disaster, it also revealed the shocking conditions at many of the NGOs that patients were moved to.
0: In one meeting... I got a shock of my life when, uh, when the MEC said, "When she grew up, she slept under the stove." So, so can these users? She cited Brazil as an example to say in Brazil there are no mental institutions. When asked as to what happens when they got aggressive. The response was, um, then they are put in chains. And we said, is that what you... is the vision of the Houten Department of Health for these mental health care users.
2: Dr. Morgan Mkachwa, former general manager of the Life Esitimeni Group, was one of the people who witnessed the appalling conditions. Testifying at the public arbitration hearings in October 2017, Mkatro said he visited these facilities and none of them were ready to take the patients, but the department still insisted. None
0: of the, most of our users would discharge back to their families when we discharged. None of the NGOs um, that we visited in the area just to check were really geared up to cater for our users.
2: A visibly emotional Mkacho spoke about how inappropriately the patients were moved.
0: We we fought uh, at some point with the department when they sent an old open buggy to pick up our users. When I got the call, I told the hospital manager turn that damn thing out of our facilities. (laughs) These are people.
2: A further link in the chain of maladministration and negligence was revealed when it came to light that many of the patients were sent to these facilities without their medical files. So how were the staff at these NGOs supposed to know what to cook for them? What medication to give them? When to do so? And for how long? Some of these patients couldn't even tell anyone they were hungry. So severe were some of these cases. Lomangena's mother, Sibe, was diagnosed with vascular dementia in December 2014. Her family was advised to take her to the Life Essitimene facility because they would not be able to take care of her themselves. Sibe, a married mother of four, was diagnosed after suffering multiple strokes. But she was soon to be moved from the Life Esitimene facility in Ranfontaine to the Takalani home in Soweto just two years after her diagnosis. She died a few weeks later after being rushed to the Begimlangeni hospital in Zola when she became too ill. Widumelo, her youngest child, testified at the arbitration hearings on the 20th of October 2017. And described the conditions her brother found their mother in when he first paid her a visit at Dakalani in may 2016.
1: firstly when he first got there he asked to see her he gave them uh his name i mean her name sorry and uh they looked for her the nurse the nurses that were there went in and looked for her and they brought him someone else so he said no this is not my mother but she had My mother's name tag on so they told him okay well they're all in this in the hall so you can go through and look for her in the hall and um he says the circumstances they were extremely devastating um it was the place was overcrowded some were sitting on the chairs but because there wasn't enough space some were sitting on the floor uh, when he found, he says he couldn't even fight. recognize my mom at first. He actually walked past and when the second round. That's when he noticed that she was there due to the amount of weight that she had lost. And uh, he asked the nurses, he told the nurses, okay, this is the person I'm looking for. But he asked, okay, if, um, how are you taking care of her if you don't know who she is? Because when my mom first got diagnosed, we're told that she has to be on the right medication. Should she not be on the right medication, her condition will deteriorate very quickly. So he asked, if you don't know who she is, how are you giving her the right medication?
2: Not only did the Gauteng Health Department allow the patients to be transferred in open, overloaded buckies some of these patients had their limbs tied in an effort to restrain them while being driven to the NGOs. Minister Aaron Motswaledi, while delivering his testimony, told the families that this was one of the worst things he'd heard from the health ombudsman.
3: When I read the Umba's report about how people were bundled in vans and tied with sheets and, and how they were chosen like SEA describe it like cattle at an auction. I I mean I I couldn't just imagine in our new democracy and in a department where we put up an act and put it as the objectives, one of the objectives, human rights. And and Human rights come and be preached in this manner in a way that is reminiscent of apartheid era, not the democracy. It's it's very painful. That's why I feel, you know, personally betrayed.
2: As I swept through the evidence, stories and expert testimony, I was mystified as to how the High Court ruled in favour of the department in 2015 and again in 2016. When so many doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, clinicians and other professionals in the mental health field were against this move, what exactly persuaded the court? Someone who has theory on this is the former president of the South African Society of Psychiatrists, Dr. Mvuyi Sotalatala. He said the Gauteng Health Department misled the court. Talatala told the public arbitration hearing that the doctors the department called to testify on their behalf in the Johannesburg High Court created the impression that the patients were well when they were not. Talatala didn't mince his words.
4: It was the definition of the word discharge. It was the fact that they then said the patients were well enough. Firstly, let me just go back to discharge. It was discharge because to them, they talked like lay people. They say discharge means you are well, you can go home so if a doctor says you are discharged, you are well to go home, which is not the definition of discharge in the in anyone who's running any health facility so that's the first lie. The second lie is to say the patients who are being discharged at, at, at life is Deming are discharged by doctors and these doctors have declared them well and fit to go home it is the families that don't want to collect to, to take the the, the patient. so it's in essence, the was, was saying that the life many patients who are going to Tagalani were homeless people who are well.
2: What many people found completely unacceptable was that Katani Dani Maslangu was working with experienced doctors in her department who simply watched on as this happened. Some of these doctors knew this would end in tragedy but did nothing to stop it. Join us in the next episode of Lying in State. The Life many Tragedy, when Eyewitness News will dissect why and how doctors forgot their oath of office and watched on as the constitutional rights of a vulnerable group were violated. This is an EWN podcast written and produced by Masihwa Rashacha, Sheldon Morais and Peter Theron.